jump in with frustrated energy. I'm annoyed with myself that I didn't secretly start recording while we were both earnestly, passionately talking about problematic elements of certain races in fantasy being inherently evil. But hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, even when we don't mean to be fucking nerding it up for this podcast, apparently we just can't help ourselves. That's intro enough. Hi, this is the Big Bang Theory Theory. I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And when we are not just with no self-awareness being open about our own nerdy interests, we watch this show that is about what nerds ostensibly are, the, the Big Bang Theory. And we've now been watching it for six seasons and four episodes, trying to figure out what it's about. And we used to talk a lot more about whether accurately represented nerds. That got too scary uh, to look inside that much. And so now we just kind of bitch about it. Uh, and today we watched uh, Season 6, Episode 4, The Re-Entry Minimization. And so, Kyle, I can jump into the short summary uh, unless you have any notes you'd like to start with before we, before we go at it. Hit it, my man. All right. So we are wrapping up, apparently, the first part of the <laughs> Wallowitz in Space arc because he's no longer in space. Uh, and actually, he gets the A-plot here, and to sum things up before I get into details, I ended up liking this episode, not because it was funny, but because I think it actually had real character development and uh, pathos even for Wallowitz, and it left the, the episode leaves without clear resolution uh, leading to like a, a genuine feeling of, for me anyway, of anticipation of seeing how this plays out. Because what what essentially happens in our a plot is that Wallowitz comes back from a space mission. Uh, he's had a terrible time there. He's been getting bullied. He's been losing his mind. Even on the descent back, he's he's screaming and praying the entire time. He's just obviously not built for this shit. And he he goes to get his his welcome from from Bernadette, and. He's bummed because he wanted the whole gang to be there. But Bernadette very sweetly and saucily uh, specifically had them all uh, wait off a day so she could have uh, Wallowitz all to herself for a bunch of hot post-sex fucking. Uh, unfortunately, she is coincidentally ill. And so for a brief time, in maybe the most like horny this show has been on screen, Wallowitz and Bernadette start making out to have like get into sexy times and it really looked like it was going to be like some sort of zombie sex situation uh apparently that's not what wallowitz is into i once had to confront also that it's not what i'm into when i went over to my friend lamar's house and he said you want to see this video retrospect i did not want to see that video but live and learn <laughs> um thank you lamar <laughs> anyway and so the rest of Wallowitz's A-plot is him... Uh, so Bernadette passes out because she's just too sick. And Wallowitz, instead of kind of cutting his losses, and which I think would be the smart thing to do here, instead, a day earlier than anyone expects him home, goes from location to location, getting increasingly disappointed that nobody is there to give him his hero's welcome. And I skipped over a bit, like, even when he gets to the airport initially when uh, Bernard is picking up, there's a crowd screaming for Howie, Howie! Uh, they're all screaming for Howie Mandel, which 
Uh, I know we have a lot of beef about the inaccuracies of the show. That is the least believable thing I've seen yet, that a crowd would gather for Howie Mandel at the airport. But yeah, so Wallowitz is just having a bad time all around. Uh, he tries going home. His mom is getting blasted by their dentist. And I think it's great. I'm glad she's living her life. It's real unfortunate that this happens to coincide with Wallowitz coming home. But like, what if, and I wouldn't sing about it, we'll get into this more later, like, what if this is what she needs? What if she was so happy that he's going to space because she's been just waiting to fuck this whole time? Who knows? Meanwhile, our B-plot is tripe. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is Amy, Sheldon, Penny, and Leonard playing, well, they start by playing Pictionary, but uh, they do boys versus girls, and it immediately turns into a battle of the sexes. Except even more so than being about the gender divide, it more so is that Sheldon cannot communicate meaningfully and is a terrible game partner. And so even though they, they try to play it as yeah a boys versus girls thing, it's really just everyone wants to murder Sheldon because he just doesn't know how to do things. But like... I, I do like I th- I do like a bit how abstract his clues are like at least when they're playing Pictionary, like the clue is the present well the clue is present, uh so like Amy or Penny whoever immediately draws a gift and they get it right away Sheldon tries to recreate the current scene in the apartment as it represents the present, and I don't know not like the funniest goof but I think a real good way of representing how Sheldon sees the world. Yeah, I mean, it is sort of like a Gertel Escher-Bach thing where it's just like, he's just a little too meta for his own, like, health. Yeah, yeah. And he's not, like, doing it trying to be clever. If He's frustrated that, say him, this is the most obvious way of doing it, and he does not know how. Like, it's, it's actually, like I said, it's not that funny, but I think it is really good Sheldon shit. Yeah, I mean, similarly, I thought, you know, I, so, uh, I don't, well, can, can we just say that's the summary of the episode because they play a bunch of games and then it ends? Are we good? Well, the only thing I'll add, and then they ask go nuts, is that the, the lowest point for Wallowitz is he goes to Raj's place. Raj is still genuinely friends with Stuart. And if anything, they are in a non-sexual confirmed bachelor situation. And Wallowitz, again uninvited a day early is like oh my god you guys are having fun without me and and good goes off to get cheesecake alone in a cafe so he's and that oh but that's the other thing that's one last thing i want to emphasize and we'll go that's how the episode ends there's wallowitz it's not like there's a surprise it's not like everyone gets together and is like got you wallowitz oh no we actually were all here supporting you all along and this was a setup no it, it, it ends with him at a cafe alone eating cheesecake and crying in front of a waitress that does not want to hear about his problems. And singing, <laughs> and I love and singing it. Rocket Man to himself. Yeah, it's and, and maybe that's just a problem I have. Maybe that's how fucked up I am, but like that it just went to credits. I was like, oh shit, this is a good episode! <laughs> but, Kyle, so you, you were going to say uh, I think about game stuff, but... Uh, well, first I'll just say, yeah, this episode, uh, it, I mean, it didn't really bum me out as the, cause I don't have, it did not inspire that strong a feeling in me, but I did sort of, yeah, at the end, I did sort of feel a little bad for Wallowitz. I was like, oh, they really are just gonna, like, they're just gonna give him like the cruelest ending they can imaginable here. It's just like all alone, nobody cares, you know, deal I've, with it. 
I wonder how closely this episode coincides with his appearance in A Serious Man, and if they wanted to do like a little mini plot uh, of A Serious Man in this episode where he just encounters misfortune after misfortune. Um, I do. I did wonder, you know, this whole thing, Wallowitz's entire plot line this season has felt like he had a scheduling conflict with another production. Um, and so that actually makes a lot of sense to me. If uh, I mean, I'm sorry, that's different from what you were talking about. But, you well, know, while we had a, a real brief break uh, to take care of a technical thing, I did look up the timelines. Apparently, Serious Man was three years before this episode. And so. You know, not ruling out that he was dealing with some other production, uh, which I think is a good theory. Uh, but yeah, if anything, this would have to have been inspired by. It would not be something that conflicted a waka waka. Okay. So yeah, no, it's like poor uh, poor Wallowitz, I guess. I mean, I'm I'm sure he'll bounce back. It's you know we I'm pre- we all know it's uh, Stewart who's really not long for the regular cast of the show, but. Um... Yeah, you know, I I wasn't really thinking about Stuart like that, but now that you bring it up, yeah, he absolutely, he's not going to die in the way uh, a beloved side character would on, you know, a traditional sci-fi series, but they will find a way to to kill him off for a while. (laughs) They will find a way to remove him from the main continuity in a way that is tragic, and when he reappears, he will be changed from his trauma I wasn't looking nice. forward to that, but you're right. I like that he's part of the gang. I like that Raj... Oh, actually, okay, so, com- so small complaint, but complaint nonetheless. The gay jokes about Raj and Stuart's relationship really annoy me. Like, Raj says something about how... Uh, to Wallowitz, that, oh, you know, Stuart and I each had our own holes that neither of us knew how to fill, but now we spend all of our time filling each other's holes. And Stuart's like, mm, I don't know if you know how that sounds in English. And it's like, come on. Like, they're bros. Like, that's fine. They could be super good bros. They could be bros that hug and cuddle and everything. They're not necessarily, like, repress- repressing their fuck feelings. Now, I want to, I want to, like, I don't have a problem. Or, I'm sorry, I understand your critique. But I want to know, does that bug you more than, like, say, I mean, as a, as a, as a humerical construct, does that bug you, bug you more than, like, half the jokes that Tobias makes in, like, Arrested Development, which were, are also just malaprops about his obviously repressed homosexuality? Those jokes I have more mixed feelings about, but it has, I think I'm more accepting of those because Tobias, you know, the joke about him is how, absurd his lack of self-awareness is but at the same time yeah they're rarely clever or even make a lot of sense like i can't remember what the setup is but one of the punchlines is tobias saying oh yeah i've always been such a blowhard and it's like yeah i guess that's about blowing dudes or whatever but i've never heard someone that sucks a lot of dick being described as a blowhard like you're really trying to shoehorn it in there arrested development so I don't know. Yeah, I, it's not as good as the name of his book being "The Man Inside Me." That is a lot better. Yes, <laughs> that's. Um, I do guess I get though the different the the fundamental joke there is his lack of self awareness and his repression of like he probably is at the very least bisexual and just refuses to admit that. They also have yeah. sort of a similar uh, joke about uh, 
one of the other main characters. Whereas here, the joke is like, haha, obviously you're, we're not gay. And it would make us uncomfortable if anyone intimated that we were gay, but we yes. still sometimes accidentally say things that make us sound gay, which is just not, yeah. Well, it's that, just that last thing you said about Tobias, I think really is the big difference is that, you know, Tobias does seem to genuinely be repressing, yeah, either that he's gay or bisexual. But that's not the case with, yeah, Roger Stewart. I think if it were, that would be like a fun thing they could work with. But yeah, exactly what you just said is instead, like all the jokes that come up always have to be followed by a reaffirmation that, no, 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 we didn't mean it that way. Yeah, so I'm sorry to do that because I promised myself that uh, I wouldn't make this episode just continuous comparisons to another show I've been watching. But, you know, in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, which I've been binging a lot of, I was surprised to see one of the developing plot lines is that one of the main characters is gay. I mean, yes. I don't think they wrote him that way in, like, the first season, but it's just, like, as the show goes along, it's just like, you know, doesn't it make sense that he's actually just a... a, a, a yeah, a deeply repressed... Uh, you know, homosexual man who has a lot of Catholic yeah. guilt about it, so he well, just can't face up to it. I'm going to spoil <laughs> for anyone that's already had, hasn't had it spoiled, so get ready. It's all about Mac, and I, and I want to say that because I, I think it's really great the way that, yeah, his his character starts out just as a bro, and then in later seasons, they're like, hmm, maybe that a hyper-masculinity has been masking something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, it's, no, it's dude, great. you're really in, it's like, you're not just trying, like, you're not spending all of these days staring at, like, topless muscle men because that's who you want to be. It, it, it goes deeper than that. Well, and they even get into, like, super dicey territory that I think as far as uh, something like It's Always Sunny can handle it, handles it really well, is... Uh, when Mac ends up dating a trans woman and is like, I'm not comfortable letting anyone letting know this. Like, I love this. I love you, but no. And then later on, he might, he meets her again and uh, she's had bottom surgery at this point. So he's reconsidering. But yeah, she's paired up with someone that was already totally comfortable with her. And so they're in a happy relationship. And he's like, motherfucker. But yeah, that like he, uh, it's always... It's never at other people's expense. It's like him, like not being open about himself is the joke, and all of his yeah, friends even being the gang, like, yeah, like because they're not like you know they're not particularly this horrible racist group of asshole friends. It's just like yeah. we're we've really been waiting this whole time for you just to figure this out about yourself. Well, and, and yeah, just and admit supportive it. Supportive, just in the shittiest way. Like yeah, the, the issue is not like. He's he's gonna come out and they're gonna belittle him for that. It's gonna be like, why didn't you do it sooner? Like like why like we've been so mean to you about this charade is what like that's the shitty way we're gonna try to get you to come out. <laughs> ah, and then when yeah. they make country Mac, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, ah. Also about that show and this last thing, like you were saying about Shuart, I've really admired the way that show will introduce extras, and then every time you meet them, after the first time you meet them, they're just a little, they're a little bit worse. Yes, like, like every interaction with the gang has really reduced their quality of life in a it's significant like, oh, this, way. It's like, yeah, when we first met this guy, he was sort of like a shady dad who was cheating on his wife, but now he's a full-blown suicidal meth addict. Yeah. Or, yeah, uh, not not exactly the gang's fault, but I do like, uh, is it Maureen Ponderosa's? Like, Who's going and turning into a cat? Yes. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I do like uh, her her mid stage transformation where her dead tooth becomes a she has it replaced with a diamond and every time Dennis is just like what happened to your dead tooth she's like I got a diamond and it blings and ah oh hey audience something that should be obvious we like a lot of shows better than the Big Bang Theory <laughs> and it's why why we didn't just make an uh, a peep show podcast and it's always sunny podcast and any other podcast but yeah. no. We had to do this one. Well, I guess we could talk a little bit more about this. I think... Uh, Well, I just want to talk about how much, like you said, I hate the B-plot. I do like the way it shows how Sheldon Mayan work. I meant to say this earlier, but there's a scene where the prompt is Polish, but he thinks it's Polish. And so Mm. he does three incredibly abstract drawings where the only thing they have in common is that you would have to know that the three drawings, you know, in Sheldon's mind, you know, are cross-indexed under the category things that have to do with Poland. Yes. Well, and it's like the first one is Polish sausage, which would be difficult to get, but is pretty on the nose. But yeah, then the second one is the person... yeah, well, the it sol- a solar it's system. a drawing of the solar system, which was originally, you know, its current configuration was hypothesized by Copernicus, who was, of course, Polish. Yes, and then I think it was uh, Mary Curie, who, though like, a naturalized French, French citizen, was born in Poland. Was that the the gimmick with her? Yes. Yeah, and oh. you know, I do, I do admit, as someone who is probably on the spectrum, that is a little bit how my mind works. It's like when I'm trying to relate to something, it's like I don't have like a clear A to B line here to get you where I'm going, but I do have an incredibly random collection of facts that just somehow cohere into this particular category. Well, so I don't know, like I literally don't know how to give you this piece of information without giving you 18 tertiary pieces of information. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I feel that way a lot too. It's like I want to explain this thing, but to explain this thing, you need to know these other six things. And so let's just not have the conversation. <laughs> but um, something that I think, it's like I, we've, we've talked about it a, a, a number of times now about trying to not critique the show for what it's not and to focus on what it is. But if I were to rewrite the B plot here, uh, rather than having this battle of the sexist thing, which goes nowhere because. Uh, as far as the games progress, there is literally, I, I, I think, zero mentions of the gender divide aside from the initial categorization. There's like no gimmick about the games they play or what happens that has to do with like, huh, girls are better. So no, it's, it's literally you could just you could just feel the laziness in the writers' room where they were like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know what's like seven random things that we could get them to do that we get the audience could maybe laugh at yeah totally pointless what i think would be more interesting is if so they start with pictionary good as places any to start that's the main game they play and where they start to catch on to this abstract nature and instead of it being this go nowhere competition it instead becomes uh an exploration uh a rival style of oh I think we're finally starting to crack it. I think we're starting to get how Sheldon communicates. It's it's not necessarily what would uh, stick with our own uh, temporal conceptions, you could say. Matter of fact, his first drawing uh, tried to represent the present, even though by the time he'd drawn it, that was the past. That blew everyone's minds, but we really made some breakthroughs. Um, I got a little carried away there, but that is what I like to... Something along those lines where... Instead of, oh, Sheldon's an idiot and 
it's obvious that he is feeble in all ways except for his particularly narrow field uh, for them to have tried to develop a richer understanding of Sheldon. Yes, and also they do that, like, I think I was maybe just slightly more annoyed by this um, because uh, I just watched this clip in a compilation of stuff that's, you know, famously bad about the Big Bang Theory that was in a video essay I was watching um, that wasn't about the Big Bang Theory. It was just about nerd culture and how it changed from, like, the begin from, like, you know, somewhere around the mid-2000s, it became something different. Mm. And it, it was talking about... How- yeah, and it was talking about how part of the change in the conception of what being a nerd meant was, you know, the Big Bang Theory, which people hated it, but just really sort of, you know, changed sort of what, uh, or just sort of refactored what people thought of when they thought of nerds for the 21st century. Um, but yeah, they played the scene where Leonard just, his every guess is Batman. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's not a funny joke. It's not, it's not even a joke. It's, there's no, uh, it's just like, yes, the nerd thinks everything. It must somehow tie back into Batman. Even though Sheldon's not putting pointy ears on those drawings. He no, put pointy- well, and, and the specific joke here is that uh, so in his, his drawing of the present, he starts by drawing stick figures of everyone in the room one by one. And yeah, like Kyle is saying, he starts like, oh, it must be Batman. But yeah, there's no pointy ears or anything. They are the like the stick figures are the most rudimentary, indistinguishable from one another. And yeah, Leonard nonetheless can't help but making comic book guesses because that's a nerd. Yeah. I mean, I'm not offended. I'm not offended on behalf of nerds. I'm just offended on behalf of someone who had to watch this episode of television. Yeah. Well, but I mean, I'm not saying like I'm offended as a nerd either, but that, that, that is the joke is that, Oh, a, a nerd, like, when when between a rock and a hard place is just going to start belting out random nerd gibberish. Can I just say I knew we were we were fucked on the B plot. Uh, I I've, I feel like I'm sort of developing like a spider sense for these things when there were three separate Pictionary gags. I'm like, oh, if this episode thought they needed like they had time for three separate Pictionary gags in the first 10 minutes of this episode, it's going nowhere. And uh, I I did just think of something uh, Something I, I liked, and then it reminded me of something in my own life I liked better, <laughs> uh, which is one of the final, well, the final contest that they have is a pie-eating contest. And I did kind of like imagining all of them aggressively purchasing pies for the contest. But yeah, so they all, four of them that are playing face down in these pies when Wallowitz comes in, and this is like the final insult, because... Rather than anyone saying hello, he, he he introduces himself and everyone's like, Go right now, get out of here. Um and I wish if that were set up better, that would be funnier. Like if that were his first encounter, maybe. But also just now remind me of the time uh I was having a New Year's Eve party during my friends and I naked hot tub phase, and I think the cat got out. A stranger from the house or two down found our cat and brought it, but uh, I, drunk and naked, uh, opened the door, saw the stranger man who did not expect to see a naked person, and I was like, you're at the wrong party, and grabbed the cat and slammed the door. <laughs> so. Jesus Christ. Hey, everybody. I'm a decent citizen. I promise. Um, also, a weird side note, um, not like a positive or a negative. It's just like a weird, kind of cute 
but totally uncharacteristic thing is uh, there's uh, they, they wrestle at one point in, in the battle and Penny immediately pins down Sheldon. While he's pinned down, uh, Penny and Amy start giving him smooches. Yeah, that was cute. Well, yeah, but it was the thing that like bugs me is like that's cute in the way that like real friends who are comfortable around each other would do something like that. But not these people in the show. <laughs> like this yeah, is that's true. It's like, like it's like it is not something that isn't that you could ever see Pen or Penny doing for any discernible reason. It's just a good scene. Yeah, like it was weird. It was like, oh, that is nice, but jarring. But but yeah. So anyway, um, anything else about this one? Uh, I feel like there were a couple of lines that made me laugh in this one. I need to start writing them down because I do oh. want to try to give the show credit. Well, if you can it, remember one, you start. But I, I did have one. I, I can add to I, that list. I, I do. Th- I thought the one where Wallowitz says, uh, you know, when he finds out his. Uh, his mom is banging the dentist and she tells Raj about this and Raj is like, your mom is banging your dentist? She's like, well, he's banging my old dentist. I'm getting a new one now that I know where his hands have been. I was like, Mm. that's pretty good. Yeah. You know, um, at the time I heard that line, gave it like a chuckle and brushed it off. Hearing it for a second time, I was able to more viscerally imagine it and now I'm unhappy. So uh, that joke's gone. Uh, My line that I liked was when they were trying to think of games to play instead of Pictionary. Amy at one point says, oh, we can go to the lab and play uh, real-life operation on one of the cadavers. And how if you, like, work their muscles are just right, you can still get the leg to twitch. Um, And I liked because not clear whether she's joking. Like she's probably joking. Yeah, no, it's not the but, line, it's the delivery. It's yes. the way she says it like, yeah, it's a blast. She yeah, she looks genuinely giddy. Like I've done this before. I recognize this isn't for everyone. Oh, that's like uh this is another just side note. I had to give a presentation as part of my public defending training stuff recently on uh working with interns and I had to like set a side note and I was like don't forget that we have fucked up jobs. Like your little, our little interns are going to be new to this. And like, you never forget how abnormal our jobs are until you're in mixed company and casually bring up a sex crime and everyone turns white and wants to throw up. But that is, that's what we do to people out in the world. So be good to your precious little interns. <laughs> they I like that. They're going to see things. Their little undergraduate minds are not prepared for yeah, well, and it's not like it's you're so. I think as a as a defender, like you go from zero to sixty so fast, and you're inundated with so much troubling. You're traumatic. just swimming in the ocean of filth. Yeah, that you like, and I don't think even necessarily in an unhealthy way, but you desensitize pretty quickly. But also the the world and the amount of work becomes so all encompassing that it's easy to forget that that's not what the rest of the world is like. <sighs> Anywho, um, any other fun goofs? Nah, I think I'm. I think I'm good with this one. All right. So, uh, episode I kind of liked. Hopefully, this means something good is coming. Also, it's just it wasn't mentioned in the episode, and I'm gonna be happy. I'm gonna say I'm happy it wasn't mentioned in the episode. Not not a, a peep about this. Will they? Won't they? Leonard Penny bullshit. Uh, I I know that that would be a good main focus, but I feel like they've really just goofed it, and 
if they were to if they were to abort on that, I'd be fine with it. I know well, it has to come back, but I forget why were they were they just playing Pictionary because it was like their couple's date, like they were on a double date. What was going on with that? I don't think it was even explained. I think it was really just like they're all hanging out and they're like, ah, oh, it's a shame that Wallowitz isn't here yet. Well, let's find out which of the sexes is actually better at Pictionary. There may have been something more significant, but I, I really don't remember there being a clear reason other than, yeah, it was the night to play Pictionary. <sighs> lazy, lazy. Very, lazy. very lazy, yes. All right. Well, so, audience, uh, if not obvious enough by the fact that we tried to talk so much about It's Always Sunny rather than the show that we were critiquing, uh, we're not always crazy about this, even though I did kind of like this episode. But what people seem to really like is this next part of the show where we recommend the things we do actually enjoy. Uh, I feel weird. I've got one that I don't think even technically, well, maybe would be a nerd recommendation. It's off the beaten path. Uh, but I can go ahead or Kyle, if you are ready, I can I could wait for your. your no, week. I am not ready. So you go ahead. OK, mine's going to be kind of goofy. I don't think I've recommended the first guy before, but I'm going to recommend two uh, YouTube series of videos. Uh, both about cooking. Uh, I don't think I've ever really mentioned this on the show before. I cook a lot. I like cooking. I think it's great. Uh, it, for my simple mind, is the closest thing that I get to modern alchemy. I can turn shallots into different colored shallots. Whoa! Uh, and something that I think sucks a lot about cooking, which... Uh, the people who want to recommend help alleviate and so have some others is a lot of it I think is just pretentious horseshit and like a lot of cookbooks and celebrity chefs and whatever like none of their shit is practical and they're all you know big personalities and so much of it to the extent it's educational at all is edutainment Uh, and so I think most of that shit sucks but uh, there's one guy in particular who I've really uh, taken a liking to in the last like two years, and I think he is currently a rising star, mostly from his YouTube stuff. Is uh, it's got a, a complicated name, sort of. It's J Kenji Lopez Alt, and he is like a cel- he's like a food anti celebrity. He is like the the dorkiest dad cook where. He's, he is a professional chef, and he has, like, master's, at least maybe even a doctorate. And um, I don't remember if it's, like, molecular biology, but it's, like, like the biology for the purpose of culinary arts. And so he, he knows his stuff, like, on a real technical level. But that said, all of his videos are of him wearing a helmet GoPro, making stuff in his home kitchen. And he is able to explain what he's doing uh, very well. And not, not just in a way that's like overly technical, like in spite of his background, but in a way that's incredibly accessible, but at the same time, like makes clear what's actually happening. You know, like I, I think for a long time when other friends of mine were starting to cook, like while I was like, if something were to tell you to, like, deglaze a pan, it's like, well, what the fuck does that even mean? And with what? And why does I? Why do I do that? Those are all the kinds of things he explains as it goes along. And so um, I recommend if you have any interest in cooking at all, or even if you just think it's fun to watch, yeah, check out J. Kenji Lopez Alt stuff. Um, and then there's a secondary recommendation. Jacques Pepin, who himself was French celebrity chef, 
uh, and is now an old old man, has been doing his own YouTube series where he is just chilling out in his kitchen and cooking. And it's very similar where he is this, you know, long celebrated French cooking expert. But now he's just hanging out in his kitchen and he's like, you know, and I know all the tricks, but in my fridge I have oh, leftover chicken breast and peas and let's see what we can do. Uh, it's radical. And um, yeah, I just, I think a lot of people find cooking really overwhelming or even like mystifying. And I understand that. And I think like, but it's something, like I said, like I, I haven't really brought up, but I, I do genuinely enjoy and that these guys uh, in their own way are doing what they can to, to break that down by, by like, by really, really knowing what they're talking about and not being in the slightest bit douchey or pretentious about it. They're, they're not personalities. They're just like rad dudes that know how to cook. So, and there's plenty of others, but those are the ones that I am recently most taken with and, Watching some Jacques Pepin the other night uh, got me thinking that I should I should clue people in who might not know. So those are my recommendations. They're the J. Kenji Lopez Alt and Jacques Pepin on, on YouTube. So yeah, weird one. But Kyle, what what have you got for us? Uh, I mean, I'm kind of drawing a, uh, a little bit of blank. It's not anybody's fault. I've just been like... Like, I've been super busy, so I haven't been consuming a lot of media, except for It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So uh, maybe maybe it's not that uh, shitty to just say, you know, that's a really great uh, show. I guess what I'll say about it yeah, as, as a way it. to... There, there's plenty of people who probably have never seen it or don't know what, how great it is. It's, I mean, it's a... So It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I think, has the distinction now of being the longest-running uh, live-action sitcom in continuous production uh i don't think that um it has the most episodes because you know the average season is only like 10 to 11 episodes but it is on its like 10th or or not it's 10 it is on like it's 15th or 16th season now Mm -hmm. so it's it's been really weird you know watching it pretty continuously to like watch the first episodes which you know started back in like i think 2004 2005 and now it's like 2017 so you know the cast is aged and you know a bunch of stuff is changed yeah, in and their uh, late 20s when they started and looked like little babies you know and they refer i mean there's a lot of great things to recommend about the show uh one of the most interesting of which is they really do grapple with the concept of time and aging like there's a whole episode where uh oh and as danny devito i'm not saying he's he's not the breakout character but uh you know if you have heard about it for no other reason, it's that show that Danny DeVito has been on for a long time. And so there's an episode where he gets a head concussion and he thinks it's the year in which the first season came out. And so they do this whole bit where, you know, they talk about how weird, you know, like you haven't really thought about it if you've just been watching it go along. But it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. This show was started like before, like fucking uh, smartphones were a thing. I had not thought <laughs> like, about that. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and you know they do other stuff uh famously i think you talked about this once uh, here's i guess the other thing is like most shows i would have argued i've argued this about a lot of shows um including shows i you know i used to really like like how i met your mother that you know they basically after five seasons they they just need to pack it in like there are very few 
shows in existence, especially sitcoms where it's like they're doing anything super funny or interesting after about season five or six. Um, they're just relying on momentum at that point, and usually it's it it you get like one good episode a season. But what's interesting about it's always sunny is it started off as like a you know a slightly absurd and dark but fairly grounded sitcom mm-hmm. about uh you know about four you know not college educated people trying to run a bar in Philadelphia, and then it slowly morphed into you know what you would. Uh, on almost Simpsons-like cartoonish version of reality as the show went on. And the more it leans into that, I think, you know, I'm sure there are, there are people who are lifelong devotees of the show would argue like, no, those early episodes, that's the pure shit. But really, just like the more goofy and absurd it gets, I think generally the better it gets. Um, I mean, I'm sure that there was diminishing returns at some point. But my point right. is... There, there's a, there's, you know, a moment after it sort of, you know, loses it. It's still edgy, but it loses sort of its grounded nature. And it's all about, you know, a lot of the episodes then revolve around like, you know, how Charlie is like lives in the basement and, you know, hunts rats for a living and stuff mm. like that, where it's like, yeah, this show is, this is really, you know, it's really good and it's clever and it, and it, you know, they play around a lot with, uh, formatting. And, uh, you know, they do a whole episode from Danny DeVito's perspective that's entirely in POV. They did a whole episode, which is, uh, you know, in which Charlie is the main character that is constructed so that it looks like it's supposed to be taking place in a single take. And it's really good. Um, and that's just not a, fr- yeah, it's a terrible show. It's a show about terrible people, mm-hmm. uh, where you can tell that the cast members themselves are, you know, at least not as terrible as their uh, as the people they're playing, and they really sort of explore the darkness of their characters in ways that's you know uh, f- constantly funny and surprising. Like you know, one of the characters, Dennis, is quite transparently as you go along, you're like, oh, he's an actual sociopath. Like he yes. is not, you know, he is not capable of empathy or. Uh, or normal human emotion. And he, you know, and he is probably, if he is not a serial killer, it is just because he hasn't like found the right collection of victims yet, but he thinks exactly like a serial killer thinks. And it's just like, you know, watching that actor embrace that, you know, and sort of lean into it. Uh, or another one of my favorite episodes just deals with the fact, um, uh, ironically, this was way before COVID, but they all, d- there's a flu going around. And so mm-hmm. they decide they're going to quarantine. It's a fantastic episode. <laughs> yeah. And it looks, but they, you know, the flu is somehow it gets in and they're just getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And then, you know, in a scene where they're like, ah, oh, well, obviously this flu is going to kill all of us. We should just have a drink before, uh, before we pass away. And a few minutes later, they're feeling be- better and they're like, wait, wait, wait. What's going on? It's like all we did is drink and now we feel, oh, it wasn't that we caught the flu. We're just all deep, deep alcoholics and we never realized it. And so we literally can't go, uh, you know, a couple days without drinking without feeling like we're going to die now. Um, how do we, what do we do? And then they're like, should we do anything in this with this information? They're like, oh, no, no. We're going to shove up. this deep down inside <laughs> and never talk about it again. Well, and so what, what you've been describing is something that, I think I've in in the opposite complained a lot about on on the show that we watch is that like all these things about Dennis and and Mac well it, all the characters like makes them more complete people 
like <laughs> there's it's not like Dennisist has a gimmick where sometimes people think is a serial killer or it's mentioned in the background but yeah it's like it's something that starts to naturally develop out of character traits that were present and that they just continue to flesh out it's and it 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 does affect how he acts and how plots go forward like it's it's meaningful for him it's not just like a tacked on gimmick yeah um, like you see him begin i think it's they have like you see them beginning to grapple with like the sort of like reality of who they like who their characters are becoming like uh you talked about th- but one of the best episodes is there's an episode like in the you know in the middle of the run where they where they suddenly realize that they have failed to pull off this plot that revolved around just getting somewhere on time because they all like had plans that involved like elaborate costume changes and mm-hmm. you know crazy gimmicks and stuff and they're like what we're we used to be normal people right it's like <laughs> what is <laughs> like i remember when my defining character trait was mostly like i was kind of shitty and manipulative towards women and now i just like every time i get angry i just start thinking about like bathing in people's blood what this what has happened to me what has happened to all of us should yeah. we even be around each other anymore well and it's great too that they do acknowledge that change that like it's not that they try to keep the characters grounded at all because of fear of them escalating to cartoonish levels yeah they do instead escalate cartoonishly and every now and then are like oh god like this is we really have we really have gone a long way we used to just be kind of mean people that owned a bar and look at us now yeah and i mean it's like a lot of i think i had struggled with the early episodes because a lot of them revolve around like gross out humor um yeah and then it's like uh, which isn't wrong or bad it's just not my cup of tea but ironically as the show gets like weirder and stranger there's less of that and there's more like just out there it's like it used to be like oh you know which one of us you know uh blacked out and took a dump in the middle of the bar and now it's like you know like why is there uh you know a a little person caught in a glue trap in the basement of the bar Mm. and or or like (laughs) I, I, I want to. As, as like, I was gonna, I'm going to spoil two things here. I'm like, no, just one. Like, it, it's like sometimes the humor. Like, it's. I, I hate saying like it's so fucked up because, it's like, hey, I'm used to it. You know me. I'm a sick freak. But for you normies out there, like the episode um, where they they go through their single episode representation of the recession, and they're all trying to figure out what their new hustle is going to be for their hard scrabble life, but they have to keep like preventing Frank from killing himself every time. Like something yeah. <laughs> like, they, just, they just turn around and he's trying to hang himself again. They're like, son of a bitch, Frank, like keep your shit together. <laughs> uh, it's so It's just, and I do. So last thing I'll say about it, and then we can wrap this up is it relies so heavily on the chemistry and talent of the actors. Like yes. my, my understanding of how it came to be is that like the Rob McKellett, McCowby says that. Yeah, Rob McElhaney, uh, who seems to be a really interesting person with an interesting life and is the guy who plays Mac on the show. Um, he, you know, he had him and his, like, actor friends were like, we're not getting the jobs we want. We should make, like, a TV pilot where we can all, you know, hang out and showcase our talent. And the pilot, like, took off into the stratosphere and became this long-running show. And so now it's just, like, that's what the... Like, you... When you... Like, and some of them obvious... Like, Charlie Day being the most obvious example, like, everybody 
you know, has now gotten very big on like Team Charlie Day and he's like had plenty of other success and other things is the funny little man with the weird voice. He gets a lot of Charlie work. Yes, but all of them basically are pretty talented actors with, like, impeccable comedic timing, and it's like they just happen to, like, figure out how to have a job where they can all, like, showcase their individual talents and work off, and work with the people and work off of the people they're most comfortable working with, and it just, it really, like, so, you know, like, in the episode, uh, the season finale that I just watched, there's an episode where they're all locked into a room to together you know which is classic bottle episode um and it's just like so they have no props and they have no other actors and it's literally just like what can we come up to do with that's going to be funny in this episode and it's all like you know basically them doing random improvisational bits for 30 minutes and it is incredibly like funny and good and also you know kind of uh self-aware of like the fa- you know like they do a whole stop routine and then they're like well that was a little pretentious and dumb you know actually i think i remember that is the room they're locked in is it the hold of a ship yes i think that actually that specific scene is the scene where i was like maybe i need to take a little break from this show but <laughs> no that that's the best part of that episode is when they're they're challenging each other to do impressions and Dennis's impression of like this uh TV of like this uh woman who plays a black police officer on TV is like pitch perfect and then D's impression of Barack Obama immediately makes everyone very uncomfortable for how racist and tone deaf it is. Well, in which by the way, uh said dear audience before we got started uh I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we were talking about problematic racial stereotypes in fantasy games, which I can't even get that phrase out without needing to engage in self-mockery. But um, something to know about It's Always Sunny is like it it plays fast and loose with, with controversial topics. And something we were talking about before we started up is how apparently multiple episodes of it's always sunny have been pulled from hulu because of blackface so yeah um, and now i want nothing more in the world than to see those episodes they might they're probably not the funniest ones but i don't like i'm a completionist it's like you can't do this to me yeah well and oh i can go on a whole other thing about i i i saw that there are new um aqua teen hunger force clips on youtube including a follow-up to the hand banana episode and so, uh, I don't know. Blackface is getting pulled, which, you know, like it or not, it's, it's a fact. But also, I can go onto the Adult Swim channel and, and have, like, a, an episode that is focused 100% exclusively on rape jokes. And I'm like, hmm, who, who, what, what does go these days? I don't know. But yes, yeah, yes, they were never they've the show has never been afraid to to establish pretty readily how the characters are incredibly racist, yes. uh, you know, but in a way, like I said, in a, like the common uh, comment about it is like, it's weird that they're open about how racist they are. And yet the show still works. You know, well, the, I think I think they're never racist in a mean spirited way, which you know, it would never exist in reality, but they always seem to be ex- racist exclusively in the, like, didn't know better about an absurd stereotype kind of way. And they yeah. play it so straight that they or, essentially seem innocent because they're so naive. Yeah, or they're like, 
you know, when one of them is racist and someone else points it out, they have the, you know, they don't, they're like, oh yeah, that was not a, they're like, I am a little embarrassed to have been caught being racist, aren't I? In spite of having multiple episodes pulled for blackface, handles racial jokes better than the Big Bang Theory. I can confidently say say that. Easily. Yeah, like it's uncomfortable, but they live in the discomfort. They don't try to do that cute little, "Ah, I made a joke about a brown person, but I didn't mean it kind of thing. It's... Yeah, I mean, I, isn't the I, it's been a while, but if I remember correctly, the very first episode of "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" is a the begins gang gets with racist. A, yeah, is a blank a black guy walks into a bar and they just assume that they're being uh, that they're being robbed, uh, and then and then like the rest of the episode is them trying to figure out why did we assume that, and is there any way we can make up for that, and is there any way we can you know shed this reputation for being like the bar where you know we gave an incredibly unwarm welcome to this person you know and they just sort of struggle with that for the rest of the episode mm-hmm. yeah but not in a way that diminishes the issue but like comically of course genuinely explores it like it's yeah yeah and you know i think i i didn't i didn't mean like get into this because it's not something i really thought of specifically with it's always sunny but uh, I do hear complaints sometimes of shows doing something like that where they bring up a sensitive topic, say something controversial, and then like will immediately apologize as their way of having it both ways. Uh, but I think I need to be clear, like that is not what It's Always Sunny does. It's uh, no, it's I not, mean, it, it's not quite like South Park where they're just like, damn, they're giving everyone the middle finger all the time, but. No, it's uh, so. Oh God, we've been talking about this too long. But I thought there was yeah, a. It's it it sucks when we find something that we're both interested in. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, there's a another an incredibly meta episode. It's not my favorite episode, but it is kind of funny and how it they're obviously uh, making a point. Uh, they're trying to win a best bar award, which is obviously code for an Emmy. And they're like, well, what what are all the other bars doing? That we're not doing. So they go into another bar and it's immediately clear that the bar is supposed to be like, this is like what a sitcom about a bar would be like if it were written by the people who write The Office. Mm-hmm. So there's like, you know, the bartender and one of the servers have like a will they won't they uh, relationship and that he adds like a, you know, what the bartender also has like a quippy friend and the quippy friend is black. And so like the first thing Max says as they're walking out, it's like, it's weird that there was only one one black guy in that bar and no one talked about it right it's like (laughs) it's like it's like i know we don't have any black people in that bar but that's because we're you know we don't have any black friends it's like it's weird that somehow that guy has one black friend who just happens to be in the bar but everybody else is white that's i feel like that's weirder than what we do (laughs) you see folks can't even talk about the show without laughing it's too good well you know, now that you're where you are with it, which is about where I left off, maybe maybe I'll jump back in and we can explore some of this together, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I- hey, new series, everyone. We On off weeks, we're going to um, introduce episodes where we talk about, from season 12 on, things we like about It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. The It's Always Sunny in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast. Yes. 
Our naming conventions will never get any better, much like the show itself. That's what we can promise you. (laughs) But we will continue to fuck up everybody's search results.